Good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll chat with the Executive Director of the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association. Also, Glendalee Allen Vosser will have details on the Cattlemen's Young Leaders Mentorship Program. And out first in today's country comment, I'll chat with the Western Canadian wheat growers about the group's submission for the federal government's fertilizer emissions reduction consultation. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. The Western Canadian wheat growers have taken a firm stand in opposition to a proposed cut of 30% to nitrogen-based fertilizer emission reduction in a submission to the federal government. Here's Executive Director Carl Stewart. So here at the Wheat Growers, we strongly oppose the federal government's proposition of reducing nitrogen applications by 30%. Um, There's simply very little to gain and a lot to lose, to be frank. At a time when high grocery prices, the last thing we need to do is to lower our crop potential. This will hurt poor developing nations the worst. Uh, Canadian farmers are already some of the most efficient fertilizer users in the world. Technologies such as GPS guidance, variable rate, sectional control have allowed farmers to minimize their fertilizer applications and maximize their efficiency. We would suggest to the federal government to reduce the carbon intensity per unit of output. Uh, According to the Fertilizer Institute, for every one ton of nitrogen fertilizer produced, 1.1 metric tons of carbon emissions are produced. That's also down from 1.6 metric tons in 2015. So our industry is already trying to actively lower our emissions without government incentive already. There's significant economic incentive for producers to minimize their fertilizer consumption. It's also in the best interest to do so. Uh, At this time, we need to find food security in the world and to add to it, uh, not jeopardize it. For the most part, that's what we're trying to get across to the government. It's this isn't really a good time to, to be adding to global food security. The technology that, like, so like at home, you know, we've, we've been using GPS guidance, auto steer on variable rate now for a number of years, and it's, it's within our best interest to do so. That 30% reduction in, in fertilizer emissions, um, you know, touched on a little bit here in the submission, it, uh, you know, just mentioning that it's a, it is a laudable goal, just not within that timeline. Um, I guess down the road... Would that be something that, that might be achievable, you know, over a longer period of time? Or To be honest with you, Corey, uh, we, we don't really think it's, it is. Like, like, it's all about right place, of the right product, right place, right time, right? So I think down the road we might be able to get there, but then the problem is, so, like, we're going to be doing, it's going to force you to do more applications. Like, at the farm at home, we already like to do a couple of split applications just from a risk mitigation perspective. Uh, like in 2011, things were not good at the farm. We, we only seeded a fraction of our acres. So just on principle, we like, to, we like to do a lot of fertilizing in the fall or a good, uh, good proportion of our fertilizing in, in the fall, but not all of it. Just in case, you know, we end up with a crop failure, we haven't put all of our eggs in one basket. I think in a perfect world, if you could spoon-feed your crop what it needed every week, that's clearly the most effective. But then at the same time, you're going to be driving over that crop every week, you know, so then you're burning a lot more fuel, you're driving over the crop a lot more. 
I think there needs to be a bit more research as far as what there is to gain by doing that versus, you know, the cost. Obviously, you've got to get out in there. You've got to do it. If you're a 5,000-acre farm and you're feeding your crop every, every week what it needs, that's going to be pretty taxing on manpower. And farm, on-farm labor is a bit of a struggle for, for lots of farmers. So it's, it's going to be a bit difficult, I think. It's 30 percent's a big number. And, and the problem is, like, if we, if, we end up, if we end up mandating that and then our yields fall accordingly, we're just going to, our exports are going to be down. And so countries like Europe who are trying to transition 25% of their acres into organic by 2030, they're going to be, they're going to be in a similar situation. They're, they're probably going to need to rely on imports. Canada obviously won't be relying on imports, but we want to be the first in line uh, with our exports. And, and, and so one of the metrics that we would want the government to look at is, is the amount of carbon emissions per unit of output. And so then if you indexed all the countries accordingly to that, I think you would find Canadian farmers would be up there. And so then our products would be a lot cleaner relative to other countries. And then, you know, that way you're not really exporting your pollution either. It's easy to say we should be dropping our, our nitrogen requirements and everything, but then that just allows other countries without strict environmental regulations to pick up the slack or the excess demand in the market. And so we don't really want to, we really don't want that to happen either. It's not, I don't think it's in the best interest of the world either. That was Carl Stewart, Executive Director with the Western Canadian Wheat Growers. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Serena Klippenstein is the new Program Coordinator for Clean Farms Manitoba. Executive Director Barry Friesen says their programs are expanding in the province. We are also in the midst of uh, a three-year transition, moving from a, a long-standing program where you know our original program, which is a, a small pesticide and fertilizer containers, uh, when I say small, it's you know, typically 10-liter containers, um, uh, had been collected at uh, municipal sites uh, since 1989, and we're transitioning that to uh, retail collection sites so that instead of at the, the municipal sites, it will be at uh, retail sites. This is happening in most of the rest of the country. Part of Klippenstein's new role will be to establish agreements with municipalities to become accessible collection sites for farmers to return grain bags, twine, and egg film for recycling. And the Grain Growers of Canada released recommendations they put forward during the consultations over Ottawa's proposed fertilizer emissions reduction target. Brandon Leslie is the CGC's Manager of Policy and Government Relations. You know, we delivered a a very clear message to Ottawa that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to meeting this target and that agronomic variables on the ground matter. And it's important to listen to to the farmers' concerns about what a fertilizer reduction uh, means to them. And I think there's a couple of options of how we need to think about this. One includes targeting reductions in intensity relative to production rather than focusing on an absolute reduction. 
He notes we need to address data gaps to ensure the baseline of 2020 reflects actual use patterns and actually measures current emissions and find a way to incorporate for our nutrient stewardship into the National Inventory Report to make sure farmers get credit for the work they have been doing over the last number of years and will continue to do over the next several years. That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Knute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Tuesday, September 6th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen-Vossler will have details on the Cattlemen's Young Leaders Mentorship Program. The Cattlemen's Young Leaders Program recently named the 2022 finalists for the program. Glenda Lee Allen-Vossler talked with the CCA's Cattlemen's Youth Leadership Coordinator, Jessica Radeau, about the program and this year's finalists. Jessica, to begin with, let's focus in on the Cattlemen's Young Leaders Mentorship Program. Remind us all what it's about. The Cattlemen's Young Leaders Mentorship Program, it was established by the Canadian Cattle Association back in 2010. And what it's designed to do is really be a built-in industry succession planning tool where we're taking up-and-coming leaders and matching them with industry experts and leaders in their area of interest and transferring that skills and knowledge and really making an investment in the future success and growth of the beef industry overall. So uh, there's every year we take in 16 participants ages 18 to 35 from across Canada and they're paired with an industry leader in their specific area of interest for a nine-month mentorship given numerous Uh, travel and learning opportunities with their peers and within the beef industry. And since this program has been going since 2010, we've seen over 160 graduates, which is so exciting. This year, of course, we saw the return to the in-person event at the Canadian Beef Industry Conference, which, of course, involved the annual CYL selections competition, where we narrowed that initial group of semi-finalists of 22 people down to the 16 finalists, right? Yeah, that's correct. So every year, January through March, applications are open online on our website at cattlemansyoungleaders.com. And then those applicants are narrowed down to our semi-finalists, the 22 you mentioned, that come out to the Canadian Beef Industry Conference. And it was such a blast to be back in person and having all those young people at the conference in general and just bringing that energy and ideas from the next generation into their sessions and meetings was just an overall pleasure to get to know them more in person. So at this in-person competition, what happens is that we have about five roundtables set up around the room. And at each roundtable, there's a set of judges, and our judges are made up from our representatives from our generous program sponsors. And there's a timely topic about the beef industry at each of these tables, whether that's talking about succession planning, how are we adopting new technology, um, animal health, etc. And they go to these tables, they chat for about 25 minutes with their other peers at the tables. They then rotate to the next round um, for a new table, a new topic discussion with other people they haven't chatted with before of their peers and kind of shuffle throughout the morning that way. So um, as always, always blown away by the caliber of these semi-finalists and their passion for the industry. And even after we've seen some challenging times in the industry over the past 
few years here. I mean, it's so refreshing and exciting to see how many young leaders are eager and wanting to build a future in the industry. Now, of course, we have 16 finalists. Maybe what I'll do is I'll get you to fill us in on the names of the finalists from the prairies, if you will. Absolutely. So of the finalists from Alberta, we have Austin Ashbacker from Arrowwood, Carly Macheka from Pinoca, Delaney Ferguson from Crossfield, Gleese Meadows de Silva from Edmonton, Keith Ferguson from Calgary, Jill Renton from Cayley, actually originally um, from the Maritimes there too, Nikki Nickstore from Erdry, and Russell Galloway from Crossfield. Looking at Saskatchewan, we have Tyson Ringdahl from Outlook. And from Manitoba, we have James Kinley from Cartwright and Stephen Bowes from Enola. What does it mean for them to receive this honor of being a finalist? As you said, they, they have the mentorship program that they are involved in, but there's also a, a, a budget that they have to work with over that mentorship program to, to help get them to other events? Yeah, that's correct. So once they come into the program, they're awarded their $2,000 that they can start planning with, whether that's travel to different industry events. Um, throughout COVID, we saw lots of people switching to using that to online resources and training. For example, some investing in learning how to use some new accounting and farm management um, technologies on their farm, which was exciting to see, or travel to go see their mentor or um, go for a visit. So that's some really exciting things coming up, and we'll see them start to make those plans here in the fall for the rest of the program year. And we'll have our orientation with them next week to get them up to speed on all the opportunities that are involved. And later in the month is when we'll have our mentor selection call. And what happens then is we have these 16 young leaders join us on a couple calls throughout the week to spread them out. And they tell us about their goals in the industry, um, a bit of their background and experience and where they'd like to look for a mentorship in. And on that call, we also have uh, program sponsors, uh, industry representatives, people with a large and extensive Rolodex essentially coming to um, listen to their ideas and then we brainstorm afterwards of who some of those mentors might be. So really quite an exciting stage. And um, I think there's an overall excitement from these finalists to get started. You know, also involved in being a participant in the program is our annual spring forum event, traditionally held in Calgary, but a specific three-day event uh, catered to the CYL group for tours and training, uh, usually happening around that June time frame. And as well, they'll come back to the Canadian Beef Industry Conference next year, um, where they're going to get to cross the stage and graduate. So certainly the, the wheels are rolling on an exciting year ahead. Final thoughts, key comments you would like to leave with people today? I think I just once again reiterate how impressive all the semifinalists were this year. And, you know, really exciting to see them, that representation from all across the country and uh, within our, our semifinalist group and uh, the bright future that the beef industry has ahead. I've been talking with Jessica Rado. Jessica is the CCA's Youth Leadership Coordinator. 
for Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen Bossler. Thanks, Glendalee. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to farmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendalee Allen Bossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Double B Egg Fest takes place in Beaujolais, September 9th through to the 11th. And looking ahead, the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is hosting its fifth annual Regenerative Agriculture Conference, November 14th and 15th in Brandon. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Tuesday afternoon, joining us now is Duncan Morrison, Executive Director with the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association. Summer actually for MFJ was really good um, in a number of ways. Uh, first of all, there's been some some really good cuts of alfalfa for some of the growers out there, and uh, I think now the beef guys are, are getting into, I think, their second cut. But it's still a landscape with challenges. I mean, there's been inundation of uh, a lot of precipitation, and then there's still some areas that are incredibly um, pockets of them that, uh, that are dealing with some of the drought factors still. So, um, yeah, I mean, but overall, from an organization point of view, we've had an outstanding summer, lots of, uh, connections and, and collaborations that will bode well for, um, farmers in our network. And I know you work closely with the, uh, Saskatchewan, uh, Forage Council, I guess, just talk about some of the partnerships with, uh, groups in Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan Forage Council, we also have uh, some strong connections into Alberta and in the peace uh, peace region of uh, Alberta and British Columbia. So um, we're kind of the prairie forage groups, and uh, we're working together and uh, looking at what started out as kind of cross-promoting each of our conferences is merging into kind of a regional dynamic where we're looking at, you know, what's going on in Saskatchewan and how can Manitoba support and vice versa. And uh, we're picking up a lot of momentum with key audiences because, the prairies are so important to Canada's agriculture um, scenario that, uh, you know, it's really good to have us uh, working so closely together. And you had a successful um, uh, field day as well this year? We have had, uh, we haven't sponsored ourselves, but there has been a number of tours going on. And I think you'll see the number of tours increase as well as this um, Prairie Watershed Climate Project gets going, which of course is funded by Agriculture, Agri-Food Canada, on farm climate action fund and we just had a webinar um it's led by manitoba association of watersheds and we just had a webinar last week that was very well attended and uh the program managers from manitoba and saskatchewan because the saskatchewan association watersheds also um you know helping support uh ma manitoba watersheds and uh yeah it was a really great webinar very well attended um and we'll be posting that webinar online uh, within the, probably in the next week or so, as well as creating some projects. But I really think that there's been some great tours for producers out there. Um, there's a lot of uh, different groups that are doing um, that are that are doing uh, tours, especially that um, you know very much peer-to-peer engagement. Um, from MFJ's perspective, uh, we tend to attract um, early adopters. We tend to attract uh, regenerative agriculture, soil health. Uh, um, you know, farmers that are very interested in those uh, practices and principles. And, uh, you know, so we're looking forward to, uh, to getting, uh, getting more out there. Um, the Wallace Grazing Club near Verdon held a very successful um, tour recently that was uh, very well attended and, and really showcased the synergies um, between farmers at the farm gate amongst each other especially. 
And uh, yeah, I guess just wanted to check in on the on the conference coming up in uh, November. How are things shaping up there? Conference is moving forward. We've opened up our early bird registration. It's two hundred dollars. It's based. We're promoting it as a day and a half, but it's going to be you know pretty solid two day conference. Um, we're just finalizing our agenda for day one. Um, we have a tremendous amount of Manitoba um, producers. Um, some of them are very familiar to. Uh, to a lot of people out there. Uh, Ryan Boyd will be uh, moderating the Monday, and then the, the Tuesday of the event is, uh, is with Fred Provenza, who is very well-known. And, you know, it's, only, it, it's $200 for an early bird, um, and it's well worth, uh, it will be well worth the time. We're going to put on a great show um, once again, which, of course, relies on great, great turnout from producers, and that's who we're doing it for. That was Duncan Morrison. He's the executive director with the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. August 31st marked the last day for input during the federal government's consultations over their proposed fertilizer emissions reduction target. Grain Growers of Canada was one of a number of farm groups taking part in that consultation process. Brandon Leslie, the GGC's Manager of Policy and Government Relations, says they put forward three key recommendations. One includes targeting reductions in intensity relative to production rather than focusing on absolute reduction. I think we need to address the data gaps uh, to ensure that the baseline of 2020 reflects actual use patterns and actually measures current emissions. And I think we need to find a way to incorporate existing best management practices like for our nutrient stewardship into the National Inventory Report to make sure that we've been given credit for the work that farmers have done over the last number of years and will continue to do over the next several years. The GGC says there is no one-size-fits-all approach to this and feel their recommendations will help ensure that farmers can also continue to increase yields. And Clean Farms has hired a new program coordinator in Manitoba. Executive Director Barry Friesen talked about the hiring of Serena Klippenstein. Our programs are expanding in Manitoba. We can no longer do it remotely. And it was just a natural to, to add somebody. And Serena, who comes to us with a, with a great background in agriculture, uh, is going to be managing the, uh, the Manitoba operations and as we continue sort of transition programs and, and grow them. Clean Farms is the national stewardship organization that develops and operates recycling programs for agricultural plastics. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show... We'll have details on the Stats Canada Stocks Report. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.